Yeah. So this morning, as we come uh, to God's Word, we're gonna we're gonna actually be looking at uh, praying for missions. But before we do, I want to pray for all of us, for dads, and the chance to honor them. So let's go to the Lord, Father. This morning, I thank you for Father's Day, and I know for some that is a uh, an exciting day because they have a, a dad that loved them and loved you. For others, it's a, a sad day or bittersweet because uh, their dad has, has gone on to be uh, with you. Or uh, they had a dad that, that just never stepped up to the plate. But Father, no matter uh, what category or what place we're in this morning, every single one of us have had imperfect dads. And we need a perfect dad, and that's found in you. And so Father, I pray that each and every one of us would know you, would have a relationship with you as dad, as father. This morning, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We're in uh, the third week of our series, Pray 12-12, and uh, we've been looking at prayer for a month. And actually, it's going to culminate in uh, this coming weekend with 24 hours of prayer. And Aaron's going to tell you a little bit more about that, but we're asking you to sign up for 30-minute increments starting next Saturday morning, going to, to Sunday morning. And uh, if you'd be willing to do that on your way out this morning, uh, that would be great. As we uh, look to, to pray, we'll have a prayer guide here. As we, as we look to pray for, for 24 hours straight um, as, as a church. This morning, we're going to, to be looking at uh, prayer and, and praying for, for missions. Praying for, for the gospel to move throughout the world. To people, to every tribe, every tongue, every, every nation. That's what we're praying for this morning, this past Tuesday night, Aaron and I were, were uh, in, in Phoenix, Arizona at a commissioning service, a missions commissioning service, and uh, we saw about 20 families, 20 units of commissions sent out for the sake of the gospel around the world, actually to 16 different places um, around the world. It was one of the most powerful services I've ever been a part of. Uh, it was amazing. Um, there was a, a couple... Uh, who who uh, said uh, that they were, were, were uh, doctors. They had sold their practices, two different practices. They would sold their practices and were following God's lead uh, to take the gospel to South Asia. South Asia is where they were, they were going to, they left everything behind. Their practices took, or sold those, uh, got rid of those, and taking the gospel to South Asia, both of these doctors, husband and wife. There was a 20-something-year-old single lady who uh, was going to, to South America to make the gospel known to kids there in Colombia. There was a family, a couple, um, who looked like they were about 21 or 22 um, that, that walked right past us. Right after the service, they'd stepped up, told who they were, where they were going, and then uh, they, they went, came down onto the floor. And then all 5,000 of us got around these 20 units and prayed for them. And uh, one, one couple, uh, they looked like they were about 20, 21 years old, taking the gospel to people who had never even heard his name. Another uh, uh, family <clears throat> taking their five kids to Eastern Europe, Eastern Europe, to make the gospel known to people who may have never heard his name before. And so this morning, we want to intercede for them for the sake of the gospel. <clears throat> For the sake of his name. And, and, and to be honest, I have uh, three, three objectives or three hopes. Um, I'm hoping that some of us are going to go. Uh, just maybe not today, 
Uh, but some of us are going to go, okay, God, you're beginning to stir this in my heart. I'm going to begin to pursue this calling to take the gospel to the nations. And maybe, maybe I'm going to do that in my retirement. I'm going to take this gospel. I'm going to join with a mission-sending agency, take the gospel in my retirement to, to the nations. Maybe uh, you're going to be the one who's going to go. Because some of us must go. The, the, the Bible makes it clear. Some of us must go. Many of us are going to sin through your, through your giving, through your tithes and offerings. You are, are joining with, um, with other people around the United States, sending people. Some of our own missionaries whom we support, sending people to the nations. Some of us are going to go. Many of us are going to sin, but all of us are going to pray. We're going to all pray this morning that the gospel would be known by every man, woman, and child. All seven billion people made in the image of God walking this earth. Some of us are going to go. Many of us are going to sin, but we're all going to pray. One of the, the first earliest missionaries was a guy by the name of Paul, the Apostle Paul. In his early life, known as Saul, 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 Saul Tarsus, and uh, his name was changed after his conversion to Paul, the Apostle Paul. And he was one of the earliest missionaries. And he is the one who actually is going to write what we're going to read this morning in Philippians. Paul is, most scholars believe that he was in uh, house arrest. He was under house arrest in Rome. When he writes this letter, he pins this letter to the church in Philippi that he helped plant, that he helped start. And he's talking about the, the, uh, the perspective of a life lived for Christ. The perspective of a life that's lived on mission for the sake and the glory of his name. And here is what the Apostle Paul says about a life, a perspective, the conclusion of a life that is lived on mission. Philippians chapter 1, starting at the very end of verse 18. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not be ashamed, uh, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether in life or by death. Verse 21 is where we're going to really focus. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I uh, shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. After I left that service um, Sunday or, or Tuesday night, um, I got back here to, to Web City and and uh, it was still on my heart. I was still kind of working through, processing through it. I did a little research. And I came across a story in Christianity Today. I think it was the January-February issue of 2014, if you want to look it up, the, 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 of Christianity Today, that, that publication. And in that publication, a guy by the name of uh, Robert Woodbury had done a 10-year study, um, and uh, his findings were like an atomic bomb to him, he said. That's the words he used. Were like an atomic bomb to him. And here's what he studied. For 10 years, he looked at 
the, um, the results of missionaries and their, their um, uh, planting or, 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 or parachuting in, so to speak, uh, into a culture. What were the results of missionaries that go into a culture that had never heard the gospel before for the purpose of conversion and for the purpose of humanitarian uh, needs, of, of helping with humanitarian needs? Now, they, the only thing that he looked at was the combination of those two. Conversion, taking the gospel, and then uh, meeting physical needs um, as in, uh, to open the door for the gospel, for the ultimate purpose of their mission. And his results were earth-shaking. Here's what he found. That when you compare missionaries and their, their infiltration into a culture, um, it Compared to compared to cultures that had never heard the gospel or had only been helped through humanity through humanitarian efforts So like the UN something like that. Those were the, the comparisons that he used When you look at the, the results of mission work um, In every measurable way those cultures were better off after the missionaries had showed up than they, uh, than they were before they got there or compared to surrounding areas that had only been helped through humanitarian needs or, or had no help at all. Every single time, every single thing that, that Robert Woodbury studied showed that the culture in every measure of way, in any way that we would measure progress as a culture, um, it was better off because the missionaries have arrived. For the sake, for the sake of taking the gospel, people were better off. And the Apostle Paul, even though he didn't have this study, he knew this. He knew this. And, and he lived his life for the sake of this mission, to make the gospel known to people who had never heard it before. And the result of a life lived like that came to this conclusion that he made in verse 21 of chapter 1 in Philippians. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I just want to look at three parts of that verse. Number one is this, for to me. Number two, to live is Christ. And number three, to die is gain. For to me. It almost seems as if the Apostle Paul is saying, look, if you want to ask, if you want to know my opinion, if you want to know what a life, look, a well-lived looks like, if you want to know what I think, here's what I'm going to tell you. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, we know that that's not just the Apostle Paul's opinion, because under the power of the Holy Spirit, he brings more authority than that. He, this, is, this is the very words of God himself. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is not just Paul's opinion. Now, it does look like that the way it's framed, but, but we know under the power of the Holy Spirit, this is God talking. And so, if that is the case, and we know that it is, what does a life live uh, live? Um, uh, how is a life lived that comes to this conclusion? What does Paul's life look like that would lead him to this very bold, radical conclusion? That I want to live a life that is for Christ, and I want to die um, so that ultimately it is my gain. What leads a man to that conclusion? What leads a woman to that conclusion? Well, the Apostle Paul's life gives us evidence. Here's the Apostle Paul's life. Some of this will be review for many of you. The Apostle Paul grew up 
with the best education that the first century had to offer Jewish boys. He was under the, the guidance and the leadership of a man, Gamaliel. He was the, the leading um, scholar or, or, or um, uh, uh, mind of the Old Testament in that day. Paul had the best education, and it led to a zealous work for the Jewish uh, uh, religion. He was zealous in his Judaism. In fact, he called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Jew of Jews. He was zealous, so much so that you probably remember the story. There was a man named Stephen who was taking, uh, who was taking care of widows, and he was asked a question by uh, one of the high priests, and the, he, he answered by, by really, uh, in an unseeker-friendly way, he said, look, the nation of Israel is really a mess. Every time God tries to straighten you out, you reject the man that God gives you. And as he preaches this sermon, the, the crowd begins to put their hands in their ears so they would not hear him anymore. Eventually, the crowd gets so mad that they drag him outside of the city, they pick up stones, and they throw it at him, hitting Stephen in the head and ultimately killing him. The Bible gives us uh, a glimpse of what the Apostle Paul, at that point called Saul of Tarsus, was doing. He was standing by, the Bible tells us, heartily approving of the stoning of Stephen. So much so that these men that had picked up stones off of the ground and thrown them at Stephen took off their outer cloak, set them, their cloaks at Paul's or, or Saul's feet so that they had a better range of motion. And Paul approved the entire way. I cannot imagine what kind of of conscience a man must have, the, the, the seared conscience that a man must have to watch another human being hit with stones and approving of it. And yet that's exactly where the Apostle Paul was before he met Jesus. He didn't stop there. He zealously went and, and grabbed people that were following Christ. They were, they were known as followers of the way at that point. They didn't even have the name Christian yet. These followers of the way, Paul would search them out, break into their house, and drag them out so that they had to face their, right, their rightful punishment according to Paul's worldview. He would, he would search them out, going through Jerusalem, opening doors to homes, dragging out men who were fathers, who were husbands, dragging them out, bringing them to face punishment, dragging out women, moms, sisters, mothers, dragging them out to face punishment. Paul going door to door, neighborhood to neighborhood, city to city, zealous in his attempt to stamp out this movement known as the way. One particular day, he goes to the, to the uh, uh, religious leaders, and he says, hey, I don't, I don't want to just stop in my pursuit to stamp out Christianity here. It's beginning to move. It's overflowing into the surrounding regions, and it's going on in Damascus. And I, I need to go, and I need to stamp it out there. And so he gets uh, approval to actually get on a horse, go to another city in his pursuit to stamp out this movement known as the Way. On the way, you know the story. The Holy Spirit and Jesus. God has enough. Bam! He hits this guy named Saul, knocks him off the horse and says, Why are you persecuting me? To which Saul must have responded, I'm not persecuting a me. I'm persecuting a they. 
and they need to stop. They are, they are uh, 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 believing this lie, and it's affecting Judaism. And Jesus says, no, you're persecuting of me. And he says, who is this that's talking to me? And he says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. If you persecute my church, you persecute me. And Paul, Saul, changed to Paul, does a 180-degree turn in his life. His worldview changes completely. He goes in to Damascus. He served there, taught, and he becomes ultimately a picture of God's grace. I think in the, in, in the United States, at least in 2017, we, we almost look at Christianity as hereditary. It's like just something you're born into. And I know theologically we don't get there, but the way that we live our lives, it's like, well, you were born into that, so you're just going to be that. My kids were born into Christianity. I'm going I'm to set up their, their hearts. I'm going to kindle their hearts and pray that God will ultimately save them. But Paul's life is a picture that Christianity is not hereditary. His life was radically, radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ under the power of his name. To the point that he begins to take the gospel for the rest of his life to people that have never heard it before. And he ultimately comes to a conclusion that live, that a life lived on mission believes this. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me. Number two, to live is Christ. I was, I was thinking about this, this statement, to live is Christ. A, a life that is lived on purpose, that is lived on mission, is for the glory of Christ. It reminded me of a story that I read by a lady named Kathy Keller, Tim Keller's wife. Their middle son, um, as he was growing up, there in New York City, where, where he was, uh, his dad was a pastor, um, decided that he wanted to live a little bit. Like, I, I live here in the city. Greatest city in the world, according to them. And uh, uh, I want to just live a little bit. I, this, this city has a lot to offer, and I want to experience it. Well, there was an, an older uh, gentleman. I say older. He was in his early 30s, older than the teenager, um, their son who was a teenager. Um, and he was uh, very successful in finance. Very, very wealthy man. Very successful. He had pursued a status. He had pursued financial gain. All of these things he had pursued. He had pursued power. And ultimately, he came to, a to the conclusion that Jesus was better. That Jesus was better. In his late 20s, he had been converted, uh, uh, came to know Christ. And he wanted to live a life in such a way that he made it known that Jesus was Better. Well, he heard about, and he was friends with the Kellers, he heard about the middle son and his desire to live a little bit. So he went to the son, and he said, hey, I hear you want to experience what this city has to offer. Well, uh, I can just tell you that I have experienced it. I have walked there, I've lived that life, and I'm just telling you, Jesus is better. But, don't take my word for it. I'll let you experience it yourself. I'll take you, because I lived that life. And he still had connections there in his effort to see them come to know Christ. And, and so he took uh, Kathy Keller's son to the nightclubs, the exclusive ones. He still had access to because of his place in finance. He took him to these very exclusive nightclubs. He got him very prestigious internships. He, he, he actually gave him access to some of the, the most powerful people in New York City. And after a year of this, 
Kathy Keller says that my son came to the same conclusion. Jesus is better. The Apostle Paul knew this as well. I want to live my life in a way that honors Christ because that is who is all satisfying. He had rubbed shoulders with the financial, uh, with, with, with those that were financially stable and those who had, had great wealth. He had rubbed shoulders with some of the highest ranks of the military in the Roman Empire. He had, he had talked to people of great power, of great status. And over and over and over again, the Apostle Paul saw that these people's pursuit left them wanting. It was only found. Ultimate satisfaction, ultimate uh, purpose was only found in a life that lived for the glory of his name. To live. Is Christ, the Apostle Paul said. But he doesn't stop there. He says, if you want to know what a life lived on mission looks like, if you want to know what I think under the power of the Holy Spirit, to live as Christ, I'm going to live my life in such a way that He is my prize. I, if I get Jesus, I get it, I get it all. I'm not going to use him for other purposes. I just want to live so that Christ is glorified in my life. But my ultimate desire is to experience the gain of dying. To die is gain. Now, if I'm just being honest with you, I know this is church, it's not the place for that, but <laughs> if I'm being honest with you, I don't have a category for this in my life. Like, this is a foreign category for me. And if you were being honest with me, I, I would say that this is probably a foreign category for you as well. Americans, uh, Christian Americans, do not have a category for this. I mean, we, we are life lovers. We are like, we do not have a category for to die is gain. Now, I'm not saying that we're supposed to hate our life. The, 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 the psalmist talks about this. To, 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 we're to enjoy our life. The, the, the psalmist says that over and over and over again. That's not my point. But what I am saying is that when death's door opens, are you seeing that ultimately as your gain, as the gain of your loved ones? Can you say that when death comes, it is ultimately for our gain? I'm just being honest this morning. I want to get there, but I'm not there yet. But I want to follow the lead of the Apostle Paul so that I would get to the point where I would say that I want to live a life that ultimately glorifies Christ. But when, death, when, when, when death's time comes, it is ultimately for my gain. One of my favorite theologians says, how can death be anything but a gain? Because you get more of Jesus. I want to be there. The Apostle Paul was. He saw death as his gain. He was hard-pressed between the two. But he saw death as a gain. The Apostle Paul is not the only one that saw death as gain. Who's willing to... He wasn't the only one who was willing to lay it all on the altar and say, God, whatever you want to do with my life, However you want it to be lived, however you want it to, to, to be taken, it's all yours. Here's my life, and I'm laying it on the altar. Altar is ultimately yours. Do with it whatever you want. Here is my life. The Apostle Paul is not the only one. There's some people that are in southern Sudan 
who've done the same thing, and I want you to see their story. World in a small country boy, end up here. And you know, I come from a small town in Texas, and I've never in a million years thought that I would end up first in the Amazon jungle, and then in Africa. You're trying to, you know, carry your water. You're trying to cook your meals. You're trying to get everybody fed. You're trying to study your, your Bible, learn your stories, learn your language, and then something else happens. This man had gone to the witch doctor and began to place curses on our team, on Jeremy. But we know that that those have no power over us, and so we've really been able to get a lot of people praying for us in this whole situation. There are, are going to be things that, that might happen that you have to trust God. To know and to see people and to become integrated into their life some way. As we see starvation up close, as we see hopelessness up close, as we see violence up close, as you know, we you know, lay in the bed and we hear the gunshots and then you know, we all ask ourselves, what is it going to take for us to stay? Because leaving wasn't an option. And in order for us to do that, we had to walk in the fellowship of Jesus Christ. And so yes, we'll come out here and we will endure sickness and isolation and all the you know, things that go along with doing what we do. However, Christ is worth it. When we signed on the dotted line and said we want to follow Jesus, that means we left everything behind. And that he is now my hopes and my dreams. Yes, it's difficult sometimes, but then we look around and we say, wow. We live in the middle of Africa, surrounded by warriors. Every night, just about, we hear them beating on drums and dancing. We're able to see people come to Christ that have no hope in their lives, and they've never heard of Jesus. They should be able to have the opportunity to hear the gospel in a way in which they can understand, and in a place that's accessible to them. Not only for the young men who do travel to the city, but for the old women who die every day. To be able to live in a world of fear, in a world of spiritual oppression for your whole life, and then someday you meet somebody and they say, the God who created this world and who created you, he loves you, and he sent his son to die for you. And some, a few, have been willing to change their lives. What we have seen God call some of these Kevin John to do is something that's very difficult. When they begin to tell us about how they want to take this message of Christ to their neighbors who live far away from where, where they live. Then as people who have also left our own homes, we, we realize that there are going to be tremendous hardships and we want for them to be equipped, no matter the price that they will be required to pay. And if we send them out alone, then they would not make it because they wouldn't be able to stand. But if we send them out as the church, then they can stand against the world. Yes, some are going to go. Maybe that's you. Many of us are going to sin through our offerings and our tithes. But we're all going to pray. So this morning, let's go to the Lord and let's, let's pray for the people that have never heard and those that are going. Asking the Lord, Lord, here's my life. It's yours to do with what you want. Where would you have me serve? Let's pray. Father, there are boys and girls 
men and women walking this earth that have never heard your name. I pray that you would send laborers for the harvest. Thinking about people that in Nepal that, that are sacrificing, hoping that reincarnation would be their goal, would be their 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 uh, the destination of their loved ones. Lord, I pray that, that your name and your news, your good news, would make it to those families. Thinking about people in Southeast Asia and Africa, South America, that never heard your name. Lord, I pray you'd send uh, workers for the harvest. Father, I pray for those that are going, that have already answered your call. That you would be with them. You would give them a fresh movement of your spirit. That you would give them boldness. That you would watch over their kids. For the glory of your name. Lord, when, when, when they're depressed, when they're down, that they would remember that they have that they have churches across America, this one included, that are cheering them on, that are praying for them, interceding on their behalf, longing to encourage them as they move darkness to the periphery by your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.